0: To a McDonald's since 1987, you've probably seen or played their McDonald's Monopoly game. You tear off the little game piece from your drink or carton of french fries and hope you're a winner. All you've ever probably won is a free McFlurry. The odds of winning big prizes like Jamaican vacations, boats, new cars, or even the ever elusive $1 million are very, very low. But for 12 years, there was a McScam going on behind the scenes, where a complex web of insiders worked behind the scenes to rig the McDonald's monopoly and steal over $24 million. Get ready for lots of Mick phrases. I'm Kat. And I'm Taylor. And if you can't already
1: guess, I wrote this episode. <laughs> and welcome to this week's Square Mile of Murder. Um... Today, we're exploring the sensational story of how one man and a merry band of mobsters, psychics, strip club owners, Mormons, and drug traffickers managed to win nearly all of the McDonald's top prizes for over a decade, and the undercover FBI operation that uncovered the whole damn thing. And there's gonna be lots of McDonald's puns. So strap in. You'll love it. You'll love it. Just just give in to it. It'll be good. Um, blind so, submission. Yes. Uh, so let's touch briefly on those odds of winning the $1 million prize. They're one in $250 million. That's your chances. You could win the grand prize by either matching the Park Place and the unbelievably rare Boardwalk game pieces – or by getting an instant win game piece, um, winners get to either take a heavily taxed one million dollar lump sum, or a fifty thousand dollar check every year for the next twenty years after their win. Can give you one guess as to which most people choose.
0: I'd go for the fifty of fifty thousand over twenty years. Yep, exactly. You're like you have got a guaranteed income. Yeah. The Monopoly game was developed for McDonald's by Simon McTin, the geniuses who first put toys inside Happy Meals. I'm surprised that's allowed in America since you're not allowed Kinder Eggs. Uh, It's not allowed
1: anymore, apparently. Well, in some states, um, toys are no longer allowed in Happy Meals. I was just reading this last night as I was finishing this up because apparently there's, like, new legislation some places about, like, not promoting childhood obesity and so don't put toys into hamburger meals or whatever which is a shame because all my favorite toys as a kid were from happy meals and like burger king kids meals and stuff so
0: see my mom would never take us to mcdonald's because she hated it so we but we got to go to charity shops and buy the little toys there you go 20p that's even better when you know a few months later when the parents were like i'm sick of this
1: i'm sick of stepping on this Take it away.
0: (laughs) The McDonald's Monopoly was the fast food giant's best marketing campaign since they introduced the Happy Meal. And after the contest began in 1987, it quickly became clear that it was, well, a winner. I didn't realize it had been going that long.
1: I didn't either until I, I, because I read um, an article about this a few years back when it came out, but I hadn't remembered that it was quite such a long running thing
0: but as with all things involving free money mcdonald's realized that the game would be the target of thieves and fraudsters so with that in mind they hired ditler brothers printing a secure printing firm who were already printing u.s postage stamps and lottery tickets together with simon ditler created a complex and highly secure set of safeguards to keep the winning game pieces from being burgled The high-value pieces were kept in a vault, only accessible to two people entering an individual code at the same time. The game pieces were also intentionally made with imperfections and watermarks that could only be seen under a blacklight. When they were ready for transport, the pieces were placed in an envelope with tamper-proof stickers, and the envelope was entrusted to one single employee. And that man
1: was Jerome Jerry Jacobson, a former cop who went into private security and eventually became head of security for Simon and Dittler Brothers. Uh, Jacobson oversaw production of all of the Monopoly game pieces and personally delivered all the high-value tickets to factories where they would be put on cups, bags, uh, magazine advertisements, and more. Um, Now, this whole story... uh, was documented in extreme detail by Jeff Mache, I believe is how you pronounce his name, um, for The Daily Beast in a 2018 article. Uh, And we highly recommend you go and read the whole thing there because it's great and it has more finite detail than we're going to get into here. Um, And the scandal has also been the subject of the recent HBO documentary series McMillions, which came out this past March
0: um I think that's also on now tv What? Well, yeah now, it?
1: it definitely was for a while I'm not sure if it's still there but I'm sure it'll pop up again so
0: well I was gonna watch it over the weekend but then I just didn't get around to it so I don't even know if it's still on
1: yeah well if you can find it watch it because it is fantastically produced and like you know, a lot of these crime documentary series are just they're kind of like dark and sad and this is non-stop fun. The music's fun, <laughs> the framing's fun, like it's and every single person they interview is just like the biggest character you've ever met. So it's they did a really amazing job. So um highly highly recommend you go watch all of that and it, it'll help put faces to the names of the people in this story because there are a lot of people involved in this whole thing. (laughs) Um, uh, So Jeff Mache for Daily Beast spoke to nearly everyone involved in the case, and by their accounts, Jacobson was known to be obsessive about loss prevention. He would check workers' shoes for stolen game pieces and made sure that truck drivers' transporting pieces were even accompanied into the bathroom. Uh, Jacobson later told investigators, quote, It was my responsibility to keep the integrity of the game and get those winners to the public.
0: All of Jacobson's obsessive security activities related to the winning game pieces was overseen by an independent auditor. Everywhere he went with game pieces, she went with him, watching his every move. Yet, even with the oversight, Jacobson managed to steal winning pieces. He started small. In 1989, he gave his stepbrother, Marvin Braun, a game piece worth $25,000. When Jacobson's butcher found out he was in charge of the winning pieces, the butcher asked to be a winner. Jacobson agreed to a scheme that had one of the butcher's distant friends claiming a $10,000 prize and then giving Jacobson $2,000 for the stolen ticket. But again, the game became a target of theft, including by restaurant employees. So they started handing out game pieces from behind the counter. This change lasted until 1995, when McDonald's ramped up the size of the promotion and Jacobson was once again put in charge of of seeding the winning pieces. Yeah. So
1: with Jacobson back in the game, 1995 proved to be a pivotal year. Uh, During the 1995 prize draw, the computer program used to randomly pick the factory the winning piece would go to chose a factory in Canada. But Simon Marketing re ran the program until it chose a factory in the US. And Jacobson uh, said he was told to make sure none of the game's high level prizes ever ended up in Canada. Ooh, right? Hmm. What have those Canadians ever done to you, Simon Marketing? Um, he said he felt that excluding Canadians, I wrote Can, Cana, Canadanians, right? That's not how you spell that. He said he felt that excluding Canadians from winning was wrong, but he also noticed that nobody seemed to question why nobody was winning in the great white North. And if nobody was asking questions about zero winners in Canada... Also known as America's hat.
0: <laughs> America's hat. Oh, yeah. Um, have you seen that meme going around where it's like, we should just call uh, the United States, Southern Canada and watch Americans lose their shit. <laughs> God. And like every comment is someone losing their shit because it's not Southern Canada. We're our own country and this that, and the other. And it's like. If anything, Canada should be like Northern USA. Like no, it should be America's hat,
1: obviously. Um, I don't actually think it that. it should
0: just be its own country. Canada,
1: <laughs> I love you. I, I wish I could live in you many times. Uh, and I tried many for many years, but uh, alas, you didn't want me. And I, I don't blame you. Um, yeah, if nobody was asking questions about nobody winning in Canada, Jacobson figured that the game was already already rigged. So you know what? He might as well just cash in.
0: Obviously. Uh, Yeah, that's the thing when we want in our uh, security um, (laughs) industries. Yeah.
1: Um, So the first piece he stole was a $1 million instant win piece that he put in a safety deposit box. And in hopes of creating a get-out-of-jail-free card for himself, uh, he also stole documents that he said proved the Canada conspiracy.
0: Go straight to jail, do not pass go, do Do not not collect collect $200. $200. Do not collect your $1
1: million instant win game piece. And then Jacobson stole another $1 million piece. And instead of cashing it in, he sent the piece to St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital in Tennessee. Now, though the rules of the game prohibited the transfer of game pieces from one person or entity to another... McDonald's was satisfied that the piece was legitimate after a thorough investigation and donated $1 million to St. Jude's to honor the game piece.
0: Well, if you're going to steal a million dollars from McDonald's, that's that's a nice way to do it. It's a good way to go. That same year, while waiting in the Atlanta airport, Jerry Jacobson met Gennaro Jerry Columbo. The Columbo family. Oh, yeah. Dude. Goes yeah, all I the, the way to the top. The, uh, the two jerry's struck up a conversation. Columbo was going to Atlantic City with a bag stuffed with $100 bills. <laughs> he told Jacobson he operated nightclubs, underground casinos, and a sports betting ring in South Carolina. But he'd been raised in Brooklyn and was a member of the infamous New York Columbo mob family. Yep. I also recently watched uh, Fear City and The Irishman, so I'm like, I'm on kind of a bit of a, a mob high, organized crime research kick at the moment. Yeah, it's fun. Anyway, Jacobson told Columbo that he worked in promotional gaming. Columbo was immediately interested. He loved, he loved gaming the system and bending the rules, and he loved making money. Don't we all? Yeah. Columbo had a history of creative schemes, including turning one of his strip clubs into a church called the Church of Fuzzy Bunnies. (laughs) (laughs) The Church of Fuzzy Bunnies, I just... (laughs) It's good. It's so good. (laughs) When... Uh, Ladies in South Carolina, just outside of Charleston, outlawed strip clubs. That is, I, it's smart. I have no words. It's so yeah. smart,
1: and apparently, so it became like a really uh, <laughs> quite a quite a news story locally in South Carolina. And apparently, uh, Jerry Colombo would would be interviewed by news stations saying, "Yep, uh, I have uh, I have all the girls." Uh, study the Bible for two hours every day, and then they get to dance. Wow. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The Jerry's became fast friends. Bonding over fast food.
1: Oh, yeah. Getting into the spirit of it. I like it.
0: I'm surprised you didn't get that one in. I wanted to leave some openings for you. Let's be real. Uh, I'm, I'm very thankful. You're welcome. Um... By November 1995, Colombo had given Jacobson the nickname Uncle Jerry. And Uncle Jerry had given Colombo a winning game piece for a new Dodge Viper. Columbo even appeared in a commercial for McDonald's celebrating his win. Yeah, and we'll link to that.
1: Uh, you can see him in the commercial on, on YouTube. Um, funnily enough, uh, Jerry Colombo was a big, big guy. And a Dodge Viper is a small, small car. Um, so he didn't end up taking the car. He took the cash value of the car. So uh, little little fun bit of trivia there. Um, now, from this beautiful friendship blossomed a churning scheme. Soon, Colombo was finding gobs of friends, family, and acquaintances to be quote, "winners. He traveled with friends from South Carolina, Atlanta, and Jacksonville, Florida, to other parts of the country to claim their winning tickets in an attempt to keep the winners spread out. Uh, He gave his father-in-law a $1 million game piece, and um, again, do yourself a favor and watch the McMillions documentary, if for no other reason than to watch Columbo's wife Robin's interviews. She is quite possibly the most delightful no bullshit badass mob wife I have ever seen and a truly stand out part of a documentary full of huge personalities. Um so so Robin's father got a million dollar piece and Columbo recruited one of Robin's friends, Gloria Brown, to be a 1 million dollar winner as well. And uh Robin's brother-in-law in Virginia also became a millionaire. Z Starting to get... See, this is when it pays to be connected. Yeah, right. Uh, But obviously, Uncle Jerry wasn't just stealing and giving these pieces away for free. Uh, For every winner, Uncle Jerry got uh, a cut of the prize or a cash payment for the ticket up front. For example, Gloria Brown was a single mom working hard to make ends meet for her son. When Colombo recruited her to the scheme, he told her she'd need to pay for the chance to be a big winner. He asked her how much money she could come up with, and after mortgaging her house, she handed over $40,000 on the side of a highway. Uh, She traveled with Colombo to South Carolina from Jacksonville, Florida, to claim her prize and listed her cousin's South Carolina address as her own on her winner's claim form. While Jerry Colombo was living large and riding the tide of the McDonald's monopoly scam, the other Jerry was keeping his extracurricular activities largely quiet he hadn't even told his wife, Linda, what was going on. But he continued to give his stepbrother, Marvin Braun, several more winning game pieces. Braun reached the point where he claimed he didn't want any more money and started giving away pieces to places like the Salvation Army by, like, literally dropping the pieces into the collection can. Um, uh, and Braun even claims to have flushed a million-dollar ticket down the toilet one time.
0: Why why would you do that? Why not just send it to a charity you're yeah. really, really passionate about or Send it somewhere. It's a million dollars. I know. Um <laughs> Jacobson continued to
1: branch out through his family tree to keep the cash rolling in. His nephew Mark Schwartz took a two two hundred thousand dollar game piece with Jacobson claiming forty-five thousand dollars of it. Uh and with Jacobson continuing to sell game pieces or claiming a cut, he reaped the rewards. He bought lavish houses, scenic plots of land, expensive cruises, and literally more cars than he could keep count of.
0: How did his wife have no idea?
1: I don't know.
0: <laughs> I think she... I'm not buying I that. think she
1: was brought into it at a certain point when he started to really expand. Yeah. But just like, holy shit.
0: As Uncle Jerry's riches were transforming his life to look more like Jerry Columbo's lavish life, Columbo's marriage was starting to fall apart. After the birth of their son, Frankie, they fought constantly, and Columbo seemed to spend all his time at his strip clubs. Robin uh, Robin turned to Jerry Jacobson during this time, and he became her confidant. During one of their conversations, Jacobson proposed to her. Yep. This startled Robin... And she and Columbo decided to work on their marriage. I mean <laughs> that is a pretty hash letdown. Oh, will he marry me? Oh, I think I'm gonna make things work with my yeah. husband who I hate.
1: <laughs> Literally, like in the in the documentary, she's like, Yeah, I was I was talking to him on the phone, I was saying, Oh my god, you know, Jerry's spending all his time with the fuzzy bunnies, and I just I can't stand it. And and uh, Jacobson said, Well, you could marry me instead. And That was that was the proposal, even though he was married. Also, and she was like, "No, I can't. I'm married."
0: (laughs) Also, he's married. Everyone's married, married and praying to the fuzzy bunny. Yes, exactly. Yeah, they started by planning to leave South Carolina, and on May seventh, nineteen ninety-eight, they drove to Georgia to look for a place to build a dream home. Uh, Robin was driving when they merged onto the highway and a speeding truck slammed into them. Their car was dragged 250 feet and crushed into a concrete wall. Columbo managed to get himself out of the wreck, but Robin and little Frankie had to be rescued with the jaws of life by first responders. Over time they got to the hospital, Columbo's blood pressure had dropped severely, he slipped into a coma and died two weeks later with Robin and his family at his bedside. With his mob man gone, Jacobson had to look for another partner, and he found an unlikely one whilst on a cruise. Don Hart had recently sold his trucking company and had contacts all over the country. Hart was interested, but he was also cautious and insisted that he never handle the game pieces or the money. Instead, he recruited two friends to help. One, Richard Coutier was tricked into believing that he was helping McDonald's find real winners. And then there was Andrew Glom. So, Andrew A.J. Glom
1: was a gambler and former drug trafficker who lived in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. In 1983, he had been convicted of shipping pure cocaine on a flight from Miami to Dallas and even escaped to Europe for over a year before serving 12 years in prison for his crimes. Um, Which is impressive. Uh, Yeah. Don Hart contacted Glom a couple years after Glom finished his probation and brought him into the scheme. Glom then went on to recruit several, shall we say, less than savory characters, (laughs) including one a $1 million winner, who had previously pled guilty to distributing 400 pounds of cocaine. Uh, Eventually, Don Hart dropped out of the scam entirely, and Glom became Jacobson's biggest collaborator.
0: Uncle Jerry's final major partner was an unlikely match, the devout Mormon family man, Dwight Baker. Baker had been dealing with a long string of bad luck and had recently been in an accident that damaged his spine in a tractor crash. Jacobson took his recuperating friend to the mountains and told him all about the scheme. Baker wasn't so sure about the whole thing. His family had lost their home in the 80s and had actually begun collecting McDonald's Monopoly pieces in the hopes of winning a prize. Jacobson convinced Baker to take a $1 million game in exchange for a hundred thousand dollars the biggest payout he'd asked for his justification for asking so much he was a friend I thought I could trust him
1: which like but I just I, I, I struggle with that because like well he was a good friend so I wanted so to I extort the more. most money from him
0: yeah like no Yeah. yeah. Baker then recruited his adult foster son George Chandler, to cash in the cheque. Baker told Chandler that the real winner was going through a divorce and didn't want the hassle of splitting the winnings with his soon-to-be ex-wife. He offered to sell the piece to Chandler for $100,000. Chandler only came up with half of that, but they cashed it in anyway. And on June 6, 2000, they sent the redemption forms. Baker warned Chandler not to participate in any promotions for the win, But when Chandler was called to do a giant check ceremony with Ronald McDonald, he couldn't refuse. Who could? I know.
1: Um, Now, unfortunately for Uncle Jerry, those all-knowing backcracking psychics missed that the FBI had gotten a tip about the McSwindling that had been going on for years. (laughs) Uh so in March 2000, special agent Richard Dent received an anonymous tip that uh someone called Uncle Jerry had been rigging the McDonald's monopoly for years. Dent worked in the FBI's Jacksonville field office and along with special agent Doug Matthews began looking into the game. And again, watch McMillion's for Doug Matthews, he's hilarious. Um they soon realized that many of the winners had ties to the Jacksonville area, and that name, Uncle Jerry, kept popping up. They decided they needed to approach McDonald's about the fraud. Uh, Along with McDonald's execs, the FBI decided to start an undercover operation in hopes of exposing the scammers. They named it Operation Final Answer after the McDonald's game co-sponsor that year, which was Who Wants to Be a Millionaire?, Uh, The subject of another one of our fraud episodes, funnily enough.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's funny how, you know, games involving big money always seem to lead to fraud. Amazing. I I never would have suspected.
1: Mm. Um, So soon enough, the operation included wiretaps and a very clever idea from Special Agent Matthews.
0: Matthews began working with Amy Murray a McDonald's marketing spokesperson, to build a fake video production company, Shamrock Productions. Murray, Matthews and a small team of videographers who were actually undercover FBI agents went to interview winners. The first lucky winner they visited was Michael Hoover, a casino pit boss who lived in Westerly, Rhode Island. Hoover had called the prize hotline and claimed to find a $1 million game piece. When Murray and Matthews interviewed Hoover in August 2001, the man told them the story of how he had won. According to Hoover, he had fallen asleep on the beach, and when he woke up, he gathered his belongings and went to the water to wash off the sand. In the process, he dropped his copy of People magazine in the ocean. He tossed it in the trash, but on the way home, stopped at a grocery store and decided to buy a new one. And it was inside this magazine that he'd found the instant win game piece. It was an incredible story, but none of it was true. <laughs> and Murray Matthews pushed Hoover for more and more detail, catching every single one of his lies on camera. Fucking brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I fell asleep on the beach and my magazine got wet, so yeah. I bought a new one.
1: Yeah, and that was the one that uh, just made me a millionaire. Um, yeah. uh, and remember George Chandler, the video of him receiving his giant check from Ronald McDonald ended up at the FBI offices as well. Uh, in March, 2001, the who wants to be a millionaire version of the game began, but this time McDonald's was notifying the FBI about each major winning claim. Uh, soon enough, operation final answers started to see patterns emerge. Baker traded a plot of land to Uncle Jerry for a few game pieces, and Baker gave a $1 million prize piece to a friend and a $500,000 piece to his wife's sister. He taught them how to set up fake lives in other states and how to claim their prizes, but soon enough, the FBI knew their names. Dent and Matthews found that even though the winners claimed to live in Tennessee and North Carolina, they actually lived in towns just a few miles away from the last game's big winner, George Chandler. And with these 3 winners, the FBI was able to create the classic crime show map with push pins and all, and they discovered <laughs> literally and they discovered that the area inside the triangle created by the latest 3 winners was a hotbed of suspicious McDonald's winners. And can you guess who was right in the center of it all?
0: Can you guess? I have an idea, but maybe you should tell us all the answer. Well, of course, it was Uncle Jerry.
1: (gasps) Who'd have thought it? Imagine that, right? Uncle Jerry had a lake house smack dab in the middle of that triangle. Uh... (laughs) Then the FBI—it's FBI... like the Bermuda Triangle, but McDonald's. Exactly, bad. it it is the Hamburglar Triangle. <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh, the FBI asked McDonald's to hold back sending out checks to the latest winners, uh, and this proved to be a brilliant move because when the money stopped coming, everyone started talking, and they started talking to each other. Over their FBI wiretapped phone lines.
0: Ooh. Yeah. The case was starting to really come together. But the FBI needed McDonald's to run one more game. Jack Greenberg, McDonald's CEO at the time, hesitated at first. It seemed like a potentially dangerous idea to let the game go forward, knowing it was actively being rigged. To suspect was one thing. To know was another. Ultimately, Greenberg gave the green light, and in July 2001, McDonald's launched the Pick Your Prize Monopoly game. This time, there were supposed to be two $1 million winners who claim their winnings as cash, gold, or diamonds. (laughs) I'm down with that. Yeah, yeah. Like a nice diamond. Yeah, sure. But Uncle Jerry already had $2 million pieces. He sent one out to A.J. Glom and one to Dwight Baker. Baker passed the piece along to his friend he had already made a winner, Ronnie Huey. Huey then planned to give the piece to, quote, his man in Texas. Whatever that means. (laughs) The FBI was listening to all their conversations, and when they heard Texas, Special Agent Dent looked at a list of numbers recently dialed by Huey. And there was only one number from Texas, and it belonged to Huey's brother-in-law, John Davis. These guys need to learn to be less incestuous about
1: this whole thing. Like, look outside the family. (laughs) But then, who do you trust? Mm, It's true. Uh, So, the FBI set up a surveillance team to tail Baker and Jacobson, and they all ended up in a town called Fair Play, South Carolina. And I swear (laughs) to God... (laughs) this story is too good to be true. (laughs) Like, this just doesn't, it just keeps giving. It it is a story that keeps on giving. (laughs) Um, uh, They were hoping to witness the cash slash peace exchange, uh, but the area was too forested and they couldn't see the handoff go down. Um, They then followed Baker to Huey's house, and eight days later, Amy Murray called Special Agent Dent. She told him someone had claimed the $1 million prize. Now, Dent had told her to hold on a second and asked if the winner's name was John Davis. And it sure was. They had cracked the Game Piece pipeline. Now they just had to trap the winners. And that's when they came up with their fake interview scheme and ended up on the beach in Rhode Island with Michael Hoover A.J. Glom's final
0: million-dollar winner pick. On August 22nd, 2001, the FBI made eight arrests, including Dwight Baker and his wife, Linda, John Davis, A.J. Glom, Michael Hoover, Ronald Huey, and Baker's sister-in-law, Brenda Fennis. Oh, if you mistyped that, that'd be a very funny typo. Right. It is spelt with a P-H. Yep. And in the early hours of the morning, FBI agents surrounded uh, Jerry Jacobson's house and knocked on his door. Uncle Jerry was taken away in handcuffs and charged with conspiracy to commit mail fraud. Very hot topic now. (laughs) Uh, The story of the scandal and arrests made national news at the time, while the media made jokes about grilling the suspects. That was in the article.
1: (laughs) It wasn't me. (laughs)
0: the FBI was interrogating their ringleader because despite all the time they put into the investigation and all the information they'd uncovered, they still didn't know how he'd stolen the pieces. So how did Uncle Jerry hamburgle nearly $25 million from the world's biggest fast food chain? Had to get it in there somewhere. He hamburgled them, all right.
1: Uh, So... Remember how 1995 changed everything? So along with the Canada discovery and meeting uh, Jerry Colombo, Jerry Jacobson received a life-changing package in the mail. Sent from Hong Kong to Jacobson by mistake was a package full of the anti-tamper stickers used on the game piece envelopes. With stickers in hand, Jacobson would go into the men's bathroom at an airport on his way to the winning factory because the bathroom was the only place the female auditor couldn't follow
0: him. See, that's why they made a mistake. They should have had a male auditor as well. I know. So, I mean, clearly, should have had a a
1: male bathroom buddy for Jerry. Um, because in one of the stalls, he would break the seal on the envelope, remove all the winning pieces, and replace them with commons or non-winning pieces, making sure that the same number of pieces were in the envelope after the exchange. He then used one of his new stickers to reseal the envelope and continue on the trip, uh, ultimately placing the common pieces onto food packaging all while making a big show of how secure the entire process had been.
0: Uh, of course. Dude. Um... After the... the Nothing like a man who believes in his own myth.
1: Oh, yeah. That's the thing. Like, he really bought into the whole thing. And by all accounts, didn't really think he was doing much of anything wrong. So. Um, Because Canada, you know. Obviously. Uh, After the reveal of the McScandal, McDonald's did what they could to regain the public's trust and ran a special $10 million instant giveaway. And this time, there were no game p- pieces, simply a tap on the shoulder in one of McDonald's many locations, chosen entirely
0: at random. So what, an employee just walked up to you yeah. and was just like... You win! <laughs> mm.
1: Which I think, I think would scare the having... shit out of me, quite honestly.
0: <laughs> yeah. Is, is that a, 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 a good... You know, a good uh, theory in a place where people carry assault rifles to supermarkets and food chains. Probably not. I mean, it could go very wrong. It could go very wrong. The trial was held in Jacksonville, Florida. And it was poised to be a media circus. But it started on September 10th, 2001. And the events... The following day's terrorist attacks wiped the country's memories of the scandal completely. Yep. After it was all over, more than 50 people had been convicted of mail fraud and conspiracy. Jacobson's major recruiters, like Glom, were sentenced to a year plus one day in prison and saddled with heavy restitution fines. Glom says in McMillian's, he's still paying off his debts. $160 at a time. Dwight Baker was excommunicated from the Mormon church but received only probation and fines. Baker's foster son, George Chandler, was also convicted but had it overturned on appeal, successfully arguing that he had no idea the game piece he turned in was stolen. Which I suppose you could understand if he'd been told, oh, it's like a friend who, yeah, you know, is going through a messy divorce. Okay, so it's kind of obstruction. In terms of a fair divorce hearing Mm -hmm. and settlement for the wife. But he's not actually really doing anything wrong in that sense, is he? And
1: also, like,
0: its I guess it
1: would technically be against the rules of the game. But, again, like, if you really thought, oh, this is just a legit piece that someone peeled off their cup, then... And uh, apparently... A number of the winners were under that impression as well.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, we talked about it in um, the canoe. Cano- do you think you are episode. Is that fraud? When compared to like violent crime, you know, murder, rape, things like that, it's very low down on like your sentencing. Yeah, scale. Like people get very emotional over fraud because you know if you're playing with someone's emotions like um can who do you think you are mm-hmm. um like people got very very het up about that and it's like actually what they did was defraud an insurance company Yeah, it just so happened that they really fucked with their sons you know pretending their father had died yes that and that's what people people get really emotional about that but yeah fraud isn't punished as seriously as as major violent crime well exactly and like if you look at the
1: actual charges in this case like it's it's mail fraud it's for illegally using the U.S. Postal Service that's the big issue here so like obviously all this money has been claimed you know illegally or untruthfully but ultimately, the reason they could charge them at all was because they used the Postal Service to do some of their, their yeah. deals. So that's kind of yeah amazing. Um, so whatever happened to Robin Colombo? Well, uh, she was tried as well and sentenced to 18 months in prison. At her sentencing hearing, she tried to make a break for the door. And even made it to the hallway before she was nabbed by U.S. marshals.
0: <laughs> I mean, if you're going to make a break from it, for it from caught, you got to go all yeah, out. So do
1: it. Get get caught by the marshals. And she had also, after Jerry died, she had served time in prison for like check forgery and other like identity theft stuff because she was used to living the the lavish mob wife lifestyle and had no way to support it so she had been in and out of prison um she served her time for this crime and found religion in prison and she later wrote her autobiography from a mafia
0: widow to child of god oh yeah uh from a strip club to the church of the fuzzy exactly all comes back around
1: Um, She was later reunited with her son Frankie, who, much to her relief, did not join the mob. Now, what about the man, the myth, the legend, Uncle Jerome Jerry Jacobson? Now, he was facing 104 years in jail. It's a long time. It's a long time for fucking mail fraud, that's for sure. (laughs) But uh, he ended up taking a plea deal and in exchange for his testimony in court, uh, he pled guilty to three counts of mail fraud and conspiracy for a total sentence of 15 years. And he was also required to pay back $12.5 million in restitution. Um, He ended up serving 37 months in prison, a little bit less than 15 years, um, and still lives in... George. (laughs) Is that meant to be Georgia? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I wrote this paragraph this morning. Can you tell? Um, Yep. (laughs) He served 37 months in prison and still lives in Georgia. Uh, He has multiple sclerosis and uh, is around 78 years old today, uh, but by all accounts is still alive. Um, So... The kingpin had been taken down, but if it hadn't been for that one anonymous tip to the FBI, his scam could have kept running for years.
0: So who was the tipster? Robin thinks that it was the Columbos who tipped off the FBI that her father, cousin and friend had illegally won their Monopoly Prizes. And in Macmillian's Jerry Colombo's brother Frank backs this up. He says that it was his mother, known affectionately as Ma, a Sicilian-born mafia matriarch, who called the FBI as revenge against Robin for her son's death. And that is the wild, wacky, incredible story of how Uncle Jerry and his merry band of misfits defrauded the Golden Arches to the tune of 24 million dollars what a case what do we think i just
1: i love this case so much (laughs) like i love it because obviously like fraud bad don't steal money like Mm -hmm. but also if you're gonna fucking defraud any one company in the world make it one of the biggest like yeah go big or go home they're fine 24 million is like what one store makes in i don't even know a month a year i don't know but like they got it they have it in the in the bank
0: that's that's really interesting that you say that because so i've been watching um La Casa de Papel. I refuse to call it its English name, as I have already said to yes. you. It follows a bunch of... Like, kind of ragtag band of criminals as they rob the Spanish royal mint. Mm-hmm. And at one point, the, the professor, who is, like, the brains behind it all, says that people will be on our side because we're not stealing from them. Mm. Yeah. And that's the thing, when it comes to, like bank robbers or um, people defrauding like big companies like McDonald's and stuff people are like well it's not our money and they can afford it so yeah. the, the interesting wrinkle
1: with this case is that I think there there was some public outcry being like well I could have won that million dollar game piece but in actuality like the chances of finding that naturally had the game not been compromised in any way you literally like nearly one in every single like if you if you if you're one person and then you think about nearly the entire rest of the population of america which is about 330 million so like a little bit less than that that's your chances you against the entire nation yeah. so
0: like but but somebody had to somebody would have won so yeah, somebody would have won eventually, but it's not like yeah, everyone yeah. walking down the street could have been a millionaire. Yeah. And also after McDonald's
1: so they fired Simon Marketing after all this go figure and the company folded. Um mm. uh but they did start rerunning the game and so they still run Monopoly games today, but they had a string of sort of not so great winners after after the scandal go figure so some of their legitimate winner, winners were like domestic abusers and drug tra- drug traffickers and all this sort of thing
0: so at the end of the day yeah there's no happy media <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> uh have you ever won anything on the McDonald's monopoly
1: i don't think so like i vaguely as a kid remember peeling off the little stickers but yeah we didn't really go to mcdonald's so i don't know i don't think so i have one a mcflurry see there you go so i was right when i put in the top paragraph you probably only won a mcflurry one of the other anecdotes that i love uh from this whole case again has to do with robin colombo so Of course, Uncle Jerry would also give Jerry Colombo other promotional game materials from some of Simon Marketing's other accounts, including uh, a a gray M and M for uh, a Mars company promotion. And it was supposed to be: if you find the gray M and M, you win a million dollars. It's always a million dollars, and. Apparently, one night, so Jerry kept it in their freezer. Apparently, one night, Robin was high and was rooting around the kitchen for something to eat. (gasps) And she found the single gray M&M in the freezer and was about to pop it in her mouth when Jerry came up behind her and was like,
0: don't eat that. (laughs) So Also, it's gray. Why would you eat it? Gray food generally. I know. You shouldn't be eating so, I mean,
1: maybe that's why you were supposed to turn it in. It's like, this is totally unappetizing. Give me a million dollars instead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I love this case. Go read the article. Dear God, if you want to laugh your ass off at a documentary of all things, go watch the series because it's amazing. And um, yeah, I had so much fun with this one. <laughs> Clearly, <laughs> as evidenced by the, all the yeah all the puns.
0: So thank you so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed it as much as we yes. did. Uh, let us know on social media if you've ever played or won anything at McDonald's Monopoly. Uh, we ever luckier than us? Yes. And be sure to check out our posts and the web page about the episodes. See all the photos. Like Taylor said, go watch the documentary. Yeah if you liked what you heard today or any other time we talk out loud (laughs) uh we'd love it if you could give us a rating and review on apple podcasts google podcasts spotify stitcher wherever you listen yeah and if you'd like to support the show even more uh come on over and join our patreon our tiers start at just one dollar per month which is roughly 80 pence yeah and every patron gets regular episodes a day early and a shout out on the show, which leads us to... Uh, Drumroll, please. Wait, let's see. Oh, that worked. Yeah. Um,
1: uh, we are giving a hearty, warm welcome and a huge thank you to our newest patron, Aaron Brody. Thank you so much for signing up. Uh, I hope you enjoy the extra bullshit that we create. <laughs> hey uh, don't sell a shot i have many ideas uh, <laughs> so, so sign up and and see what we've got uh, up our sleeves and that's all we've
0: got for you today thank you so much for listening thanks so much Bye-bye. bye Bye. that case is insane it's amazing it's it's my favorite